So last week I got through one of four points, and uh, today I'm, gonna, I'm probably only going to get through two more, and so uh, we'll leave it at that. But I'm, I'm incredibly excited to talk to you this morning and to, um, to share with you what's, what's been happening in our church and where we see, uh, where we see new ground being taken and, and, and what we see God leading us into. Some of that's specific and some of it's general. Um, but I'm, I'm incredibly excited and passionate about where we've been, and I'm incredibly excited and passionate about where I believe God is, is leading us um, further into the vision that he's already called us to. So last week I was talking to you about how we have these four hills that we'll die on. Some churches call those core values. We thought it was better to call them four hills that we'll die on, right? It's just, it just seems like us. And so uh, what we like to say is that we are a church that is gospel-centered with a missional mindset that engages culture while being focused on truly making disciples. And so uh, last week I was telling you about how gospel centrality is absolutely important and it's what we're focused on. We're focused on the gospel because the gospel isn't just the beginning of your Christian life, it is what sustains your Christian life. Uh, many of us believe that we pray a prayer once of repentance, and then we're in, and then we just kind of go along with kind of the Christian uh, stream of things. But in reality, what takes place is that we're constantly reliving the gospel throughout our lives. And so that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 can essentially relate all of marriage to the church and really say that you're, in, in essence, replicating the gospel in your marriage. You're replicating the life of Christ, men, in your marriage. Not that you are lording over your wife, but that you are dying for her. So that's a gospel-centered approach to marriage. It's not be nice so that you have a good marriage, so that you can be happy. It is understand the gospel so that you can reveal that to your wife, reveal that to your spouse in the way that you act and in the way that you sacrifice for them. So that's gospel centrality. So everything comes back to the gospel. Everything comes back to the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. That was point one. Point two is this, is that we want to be uh, people who have a missional mindset that engages culture. So point two and three, I should say. So it's a missional mindset that engages culture. But what does that actually mean? Well, many churches exist for themselves. There's lots of great churches in our town that don't. In fact, I get to meet with them regularly. In fact, this last week I got to meet with several of them, and I, I want to say that I think these guys are passionate about their city, and they don't exist just for themselves. What I want to say is that it's typical for churches to continually slide into a consumeristic mindset. We're all like that. I'm like that. Not just you or, 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 or bad Christians or something like that. We are all self-centered. In fact, this is part of what marriage is about. Marriage is about coming to a point of understanding how selfish you are and, uh, and, that, and that being revealed in your life and then coming to a place of, okay, I need to live for someone else. And then you add some short people into the mix that oftentimes called children. And those, those little kiddos actually even further that goal of uh, letting go of your selfishness and so forth. But uh, a lot of times churches exist for themselves. They, they, their programs are, are, are for them. Their, the, all of their finances are about them and, and things of that nature. And to be sure, it takes money to run a church. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that this morning. It takes some money uh, to operate a church. But ultimately, what we want to be about, what we want to teach uh, our church and the people who are here is that God has called us to not just be about ourselves, to not be isolationists, but to have a missional mindset. That is that we're consistently thinking of ourselves as missionaries. Oftentimes we think of missionaries as people who go over there and do those things, and they come back and they uh, have really long sermons at church, and, 
and it just takes forever to see the slideshow that they're showing of the natives and things like that. But that's not really what missions is only about. Certainly, those are some good things there. But you can be a missionary right where you are at. In fact, I would say this, that if you're not a missionary, I'm not sure that you got the first point, which is the centrality of the gospel. Because if you've got the gospel, you want to give the gospel. If you've got the gospel and you understand how good it is, there's no way that you cannot uh, uh, go tell other people about it because it is such good news. God, uh, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And as a result, we get to have life in him. And so it is incredible news. What this means is that each one of us is a missionary. And then as a result, what does it mean to be a missionary who engages uh, their culture well, it's essentially this. There, there's also a, a lot of problems in the church, which is that we've got a lot of churches that are on the cutting edge, uh, on the cutting edge, I should say, of 1980, right? I mean, the carpet looks like 1980. The, um, you know, everything is, is, is from the 80s. We want to engage this culture and this time and this cultural moment and this place. And so as a result, that's what we want to be about. So I want to ask you whether that's something that you care about. I want to ask you that. Some of you have come to church because you're hurting. There's things that are go not going right in your life. Um, you're trying to turn over a new leaf, and we're glad you're, you're here, and, and, and this is a good place to come and receive, to come and consume. Our ultimate goal for you is that you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you haven't already, and that you would live on mission as someone who's called to be on mission by Jesus and to engage with your culture. In fact, one of the hallmark passages that we talk about a lot in, uh, um, in, in the scriptures is out of Jeremiah 29. Can you hand me that water there? Sorry, I forgot to grab this. Thanks so much, babe. The one from Starbucks. That's right. Okay. <laughs> mm. Tastes like corporate America. Good grief. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, um, okay, where was I? Jeremiah 29. We talk about this often, and that's because it really describes a little bit about, uh, about us and our culture. Jeremiah 29, we oftentimes think of verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. But what it says prior to that is in verse 4, Jeremiah 29, 4. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Remember, we talked about this uh, quite a bit in the, in the um, series on Daniel, how Daniel and his friends very much are like us. They've been set into exile. They were a part of a, a Christian uh, nation, if you will, a God-believing uh, uh, nation, and they were carried off into exile, and now they're in Babylon. And in essence, what we talked about throughout the Daniel series is that we are also people who are living in exile. We're not in a Christian nation, per se. What we're a part of is we're a part of a nation that is very much against our, our values and so forth. And so we need to view ourselves in this way. Excuse me. Uh, verse 5 says this, "...build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce." Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Hang on a second. Why is it saying that? It's saying this. Uh, it is pushing back against the false prophecies of people who claim to be from God who are saying, separate yourselves, live outside of the city, create a bunker, churn your own butter, homeschool, and just keep everybody out of there. And by the way, we got a lot of homeschoolers out of church. We're so glad that you're here. But, <laughs> yes, and lots of people on staff, I think, as, as well, um, or at least a few anyway. But in any case, uh, we're not against that. But what we're saying is, is if all of life is all about separating yourself, you're just isolating yourself and you're not able to get involved with the culture. And this is pushing back against these false prophets that are saying, isolate yourself, build an underground bunker, stay away from those rotten sinners, and do your own thing, and then Jesus is going to come and everything's going to be fine. But that's not God's word to them, 
And that is not God's word to us. God's word to us is to live life. Live life to the fullest. Build a house. Plant a garden. Get married. Uh, marry off your sons and your daughters. Do all the things that have to do with life. Live life. Get involved in the city. Get involved in what's happening here. But here's the problem. You have these isolationists, but then you also have these people who are syncretists. Syncretists are people who just go along with everything. They go along with the culture. Many of us in this room, let's be honest, are syncretists. We are people who have engaged so much in the culture. We've engaged so much in the kingdom of man that we don't even understand the kingdom of God. So instead of living for the kingdom of God, living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, we're living as a citizen of the kingdom of man. And instead of being people who are in the city and about God, we're in the city and we're about the city. That's, that's all that we're about. We're, uh, we're, we're engaging with this. We're, we're entering into these things. And so therefore, as a result, what you see is sexual immorality among the church. You see a misuse of finances. You see a misuse of power. You see all kinds of things, lying, cheating, all of these things, because we've engaged so much with our culture, with the, with the kingdom of man, that we don't even see the difference anymore. The whole process of being a Christian and pr being, becoming progressively sanctified, the whole process is about understanding and seeing the kingdom of man for what it is and instead engaging as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in your daily life. And what these people were, were doing or what they were being told is separate yourselves, but then there were also other people who were just engaging. And so there's two extremes. There's, you know, deep religion, but then there's irreligion, as Tim Keller often says. And so what does, he, what does he say here? In verse 7, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do you see what that said? Look, look, look at all these descriptive statements. You're, you are to be so much about uh, engaging with your city that you want your city to prosper. You want your city to prosper. You want good things to take place. You want to enable people to be fed. You want to take care of people. You, you want to love the city that we're in. You want to do right by it. But we live in you know, somewhat of a, a liberal state. And as people who oftentimes call ourselves evangelicals, uh, maybe you don't, that's okay, but a lot of people who are Christians would call themselves that because they're ab about the gospel, uh, pretty soon take on this mentality of, you know what, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. I believe there's a verse that says that somewhere, right? Or something along those lines. And so therefore, let's just tie a bow on it and just send that sucker straight to hell where it belongs, right? It's all going to burn up in the end. What purpose is there in doing all these things? What purpose is there in, in serving people in our city, taking care of the poor? What purpose is there in taking care of the orphan or the, the foster child? What purpose is there in, in helping people, helping the immigrant? What, why, would we, why would we engage in those things? What, if it's all going to come to an end anyway, shouldn't we just share the gospel with them and just be done with it? Because their real need is the gospel. No, what the scriptures are saying is this. Yes, we're gospel-centered. We are gospel people. And because of the gospel, that goes all the way through our body from our head to our toe, in our minds, our hearts, our soul, and it comes out of us in seeking the welfare of our city. And as a result, what takes place is we are a people who are on mission to our city and we are engaging our culture. We're finding out their stories. What's your story? What's going on in your life? What's happening here? Oh, you, you uh, got over here illegally. Do you have enough food? Oh, you, you did not have good parents, and so therefore, how can I step in and be a parent to, to you and for you? You name it. You name it. God's people are to represent God. God's people are to represent God. And the good works that we do show this is who we serve. 
we were in First uh, Peter uh, a little bit, and I, I got to be honest, like the, this verse, verse uh, 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, here's a problem with people who, who think that they know the gospel. And all of us fall into this. When Jesus is gracious to us, we begin to start saying to ourselves, why don't I just go on sinning? You know what? He's just going to be gracious again. Why don't I just continue to do this? Well, the reason why we shouldn't is not because God's not going to forgive us. Because if we've truly received the gospel, God forgives past, present, and future sin. The reason why we should not con continue to engage in that is because that is not honoring to our king. And Peter is saying, is saying in this verse here, he's saying that your conduct should be honorable. It should be honorable so that when people from the outside, meaning even people who are not Christians, when they look in, they could say, that person, that man, that woman is honorable. They're honoring somebody. They're doing something that is honorable the way that they live their, live their life, the way that their marriage works out. I see that that guy loves his wife. I see how he, uh, he talks to her. He's gentle to her. I see that their marriage is really great. I see that wife, how she respects her husband. And they get along so great. It's not this domineering approach to this, but it is a real relationship. When people see that and your conduct is honorable to your spouse, to your employees, to the people that you work with, and to the people all around you, when they see that, this is a replication. It is showing who God is. This is who we serve. And when we fall into the trap of serving the kingdom of man over being a citizen of the kingdom of God, we misrepresent God repeatedly over and over and over again. And so he says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. So it's not if they do, but it's when they do. And let's be honest. Many Christians are spoken against as evildoers. Uh, many of the things that we would stand for are being spoken against as evil. In some ways, we deserve the criticism because we've been hateful. We have a huge hill to climb with our culture. We've been hateful. And instead of loving the person that vehemently disagrees with us, instead of loving them and serving them, we have fought them. We've argued with them over and over again. I don't mean there aren't, there, there aren't moments where we need to stand up for something. I'm not saying that. But I am saying if that is the consistent tenor of our lives, what it does is it, it, it sheds a wrong light on who God is so that when they speak against you as evildoers, so like when this happens, uh, because your conduct has been so honorable, when that takes place, what's going to happen as a result is that they're going to see your good deeds and they're going to say, oh, I think they're punks because they believe this, but holy cow, that's ridiculously good what those Christians are doing. And I can't speak against that. So that when they see your good deeds, not just that they're going to see good deeds, not just that they're going to see that we represent God, but they're, they are going to glorify God on the day of visitation. They are going to give glory to God. They're going to welcome the day that Jesus returns. And the reason why they're going to welcome the day and not be like the people in the book of Revelation that crawl into a hole and say, rocks, fall on us because the wrath of the Lamb is coming. They're not going to respond like that. They're going to welcome the day that Jesus returns because they've received him. Because they now have the gospel in their lives. Why? Because they saw your good deeds 
and because they saw your honorable character and because they saw what Jesus' church was doing and they were just like, that's amazing, i got to be a part of it. We were in our uh, uh, tables for 10 the other night and my wife, my wife was asking the questions and, and so she asked, you know, tell me one of your dreams. And, and I just, I, I think the thing that's been on my mind because I knew this sermon was coming and just it's the beginning of the year and so I need to direct the church and so I'm asking the Lord like, what, what do you want for, for us and from us? What's this supposed to look like? And I think the thing that I came down to is just like, I just want there to be this moment where people in our city who may even hate us will, will be so mad at us. I don't want them mad at us, but they're going to be anyway. And so they'd be so mad at us, and yet they would be like, but I cannot deny what that church is doing. I cannot deny who those people are and what they're like. You see, here's the thing, is that we read passages like this and we say, man, it is overwhelming, it's insurmountable that I just by myself would make a difference. Well, you know what that is? That's American Christianity. And American Christianity says, you're an individual, go have your quiet time, just you and Jesus. But real Christianity, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a quiet time, but I am saying this, it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus' people. It says in Ephesians that God's whole purpose in creating the church, it is a gathering of a group of people that have received his gospel and walk in faith to him, will be a display of the manifold wisdom of God and that we will show this is who our God is. This is what he's like. So these words are not just to you. These words are not just about you. These are to us. And so how are we going to fulfill what God has for us as his church and in looking at um, what it looks like to be a people who are on mission and who are engaging our culture. Let me tell you about some things, some ways that Outward Church has chosen to seek the welfare of the city. Um, we have been uh, working to find ways to plug into our city in ways that are perhaps innovative. In fact, innovation, I think, is the biggest thing that our church needs today and needs to continue doing. But there's uh, a number of different things that we've been doing throughout the city, and I'm, I'm actually out of order here a little bit with my, my notes, and so I've got I've to... Yes, here we go. Okay. It says... Uh, so this is what we've been doing. For the last 10 years, we've been doing an event called THX. Let me be honest with you. I got about halfway, I mean, probably five years ago. And just during that time, I, I just was, I was like, man, is this really making a difference? I mean, when we did THX, like, we didn't have a ton of people that would come to our church the next day. We'd fed them. We had served them. We had, we had you know, prayed for them. We had done all these things. People did not come in droves to our church. And so I began to think about that. Like, it, I'm not seeing some type of numerical growth or people coming to faith or like thousands of baptisms or anything like that, or even one, maybe. And so I, I began to think, right, is this really doing anything? And I, I, I decided this, along with the elders, not just me. When I say I, I mean we, the elders, decided, you know what? This is good. This is a good thing. It's not just about us. It's not about what we get out of it, some tangible result that the church can boast. Oh, we got so many more people coming to our church because we've been serving all these people. No, what we've been doing is we've been serving our city faithfully for 10 years. With, with I mean, and people would say thank you, but in some ways, no tangible result to show for it. Until this last year, when... The statesman did an article on our church, and which is great and all, but we weren't really all about that. We thought, that's cool. We're glad some people saw that. that that's awesome. But we so served more people this year than we've ever served. I think it was that 1,200 people that we served this year. Raised $17,000 for that event. How do we seek the welfare of our city? 
so that people will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We have been consistently serving for 10 years and that. And then secondly, the other thing we've said is like, okay, we want to add to this and so that it's not just one event. So then we started doing soccer camps. So we did one quite a while ago, and then we did uh, back-to-back summers. We've done summer camp uh, over at Richmond Elementary. And then we've had ongoing soccer club at Richmond Elementary. Do you see where I'm going with this? We've been doing a lot at Richmond Elementary. We have this soccer club that's going on, and we have Blake, whom we hired, to actually be there on a regular basis, make sure that it's going, and enable that to take place and get volunteers involved with that. And then we have backpack buddies at Richmond. So we've been serving. Um, we started with like 150 kids, and we, we thought that was, um, we weren't doing enough for those 150, so we reduced the number to 30 and said we're going to do excellence with these 30 kids. And so we give them a lunch uh, or a, 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 a backpack, and really it's a, it's, a, it's a lunch sack that they take home with them, and so it has canned food and things in there that they take home over the weekend so that they can eat. Why? Because we want to seek the welfare of our city. We want to be about these people. We want to be about its welfare because in it we will find our welfare. And so uh, in addition to that, um, our, our main focus is essentially that we want to be about kids and young families. We want to be about kids and young families and the reason is because we want to be seeking the welfare of our city. In fact, just this last week, I was uh, on Facebook for a moment, and um, I saw a Statesman Journal article that said that Mike Huckabee, the Republican uh, former candidate, was at another church in town, and he spoke there um, in regards to abortion. And so I thought, well, this will be good, and so I read the comments, and I thought, what's everybody going to say about this? Because there's got to be a lot of Um, hate for Mike Huckabee in a liberal state. And so first comment out was, you know what's wrong with you people? Is that you only care about people who are in the womb and then when when they're born, you cut off all of their programs and and all of this stuff. And let's just be honest that that has been a part of a conservative platform, which is reduced spending in these things, but we're all about uh, uh, life, we're pro-life, and yet we're not really comprehensively pro-life. We're not comprehensively pro-life. We're pro-pre-outside uh, of the womb, but not post a lot of the time. And I read that, and I and I wanted to be like, um, hey, I'm from Outward Church. You should hear about all our programs. I didn't want to announce what we're doing. They, but they have a point. They have a serious point. And that is, if you're going to be pro-life, be pro-all of life. Why? Well, because it matters. It matters. If you're pro-life, you need to be pro-all of life. I mean, part of, I've already explained some of this. There's a book called Freakonomics. I I mention it occasionally because it has really fascinating statistics and stories in it. But in that book, there's this really fascinating chapter that talks about, like, I think the name of the chapter is, Where Did All the Criminals Go? And it really tells this fascinating story about how in the early 90s, the crime rate dropped precipitously. I mean, it just, it just started to fall. It just started to fall. And so mayors and, and governors and people that are in law enforcement began to take credit for those types of things and say, yep, it's our good policing. It's police tactics and other things along those lines. It's, it's people who are, who are carrying guns. They're stopping the criminals or, or what have you. But every, there were lots of different ways that this could have been diced up. Like, this is why the crime rate's going down. But this book offers another solution because this was in the early 90s. And if you think about it, uh, about 20 years prior to that, Roe v. Wade went into, into effect. And Roe v. Wade allowed uh, abortion to take place at will in our, in our country. And what took place as a result is that every woman who had a child that really didn't want a child or was going to have a child that didn't want to have a child was able to kill that child. And so if you weren't ready for it and you didn't want a child or you've had too many or or whatever, whatever that means, 
then you could go ahead and end the life of that child. And so what ended up happening in our country, and they went through a number of statistics, in fact, four states that allowed abortion prior to the entire country being allowed to uh, uh, allow abortion, four states that had done this earlier, their crime rates dropped earlier than the rest of the nation. It's almost a fact. When if, if all of those statistic, statistics are true, what it's saying is this, is that abortion even though it kills children, actually helps our society uh, get rid of criminals. And so when you kill a child, uh, it's better for society because it's not going to inconvenience the mom. It's going to be less kids in the ghetto because, as you know, uh, uh, abortion is basically uh, genocide against African Americans. There's a disproportionate number of African Americans who get abortions. It's awful. This is our holocaust. This is our situation. This is our genocide today. And our culture says, go ahead and end the life of the child so that society is better and that these people aren't inconvenienced. But guess what? We have another answer. And our answer is not death. Our answer is life. Life in Christ. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We bring life to the table. We bring life into our families and in our neighborhoods. We bring life into people that are suffering. Because here's the thing. God is all about these people. The widow, who's also the single mom today, which there are many, the orphan, foster kids, the sojourner, immigrants, and especially illegal immigrants, and the poor. Seek the welfare of the city because in its welfare you will find your, your welfare. When you seek the welfare of those people, instead of killing them, you come into their life and you bring life into them with Christ. And yeah, we may not be able to make a gospel presentation, but I get to be a dad to a child that could grow up to be a murderer himself, but I get to be a dad to this child as a foster parent, as somebody who is helping out with soccer camp, as somebody who's just assisting and maybe giving towards those efforts. I get to bring life into that child and we get to exclaim to everyone who's going to have hateful comments, you know what? You guys are just about pre-birth, uh, uh, pre, uh, uh, I should say. That's all that you're about. And we get to say as a church, you know what? That's hogwash. Look at what God's church is doing in our city. And did, did you catch this? 18, 20 years later, 20 years after Roe v. Wade, the crime rate dropped. What if 20 years from now, there's people walking around our city and just saying, you know, Salem is different. I'm not quite sure what's going on with Salem, but there is a, an incredible thing going on where the crime rate has been dropping. And more and more kids are graduating from high school. And they have all of these programs that are set up that are serving all of these people. And like it's, it's like there's just something going on in our city. And do you know what? I hope that it's not the name of Outward Church, but I hope that it's people who are going to be able to proclaim, hey, it's God in our city. It is God doing His work in this time because a little church of about 300 and something people decided one day, they said, you know what? We are going to do something else. What if our finances were managed in a way that said, I'm a kingdom. I'm not a kingdom. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I am not a citizen of the kingdom of man. And so as such, I live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And so therefore, what I do, not just with 
going to church or whatever, but the way that I use money, sex, and power is described, and it describes my God. It describes who he is. Guys, if killing kids can make an impact in our city, what will bringing life to kids be like? What? Can you imagine? What if that happened? What if we were those people? What if we were that guy who was able to show this? And so what are we... What are we hoping to do? Well, we're going to continue to dream big. We're going to continue to dream big, and we're going to continue on with THX. I want to get to a couple of things real, real quick, and you're, you might not love pie charts, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, and I don't either, and so we'll, we'll go quickly here. But let me look at the 2017 operating expenses real quick. Uh, look, look at that right there. We want to be, you know, uh, as open as a pie chart uh, allows us to be. Um, perhaps more if you have more questions. We'd love to talk with you. But look at, look at what that says. Um, it says we've spent about 55% on staffing, 19% on facility, 15% on ministry and programs, 6% on church planting, and 5% on other. And I can't remember what the other is. I could tell you later if you really want to know. Um, and so uh, what, what is amazing about this is that that is a total of $405,000. Now, it doesn't include something, which I'll tell you about in just a second. But first of all, let me just say this. We set a budget last year of about $336,000. And so all throughout the year, I was talking to somebody the other day, like, hey, you guys been asking for money a little bit. Like, what's going on? Well, the church has been growing. And so we're encouraging you and trying not to put some type of weight on you and say, help us, we're, we're going under, because we're not going under, we're getting bigger and it costs more, and we're doing more. And do you know what? You responded. So, yay God, and yay to you and your pocketbook, right? That's, that's an amazing thing. Guys, we set a budget of $336,000 for general unrestricted funds, and uh, long story short, there's about $405,000 that came in for those expenses. That blew us away, and I want to go to the next slide, which, slide, which is 2017 outreach. Let's go to that here. Plus another $24,000 that came in uh, for weekend meals. That's the backpack buddies at uh, Richmond Elementary for summer soccer camp and for THX. $24,000 on top of uh, $405,000 that is uh, basically, if, if I could do math at all, it's about $430,000. That's amazing. Do you guys see what happened? We set a budget of $336,000. God like, came in and uh, blew that up, and so we brought in $100,000 more than what we had budget, budgeted for. Now, you might be thinking, okay, so we should be flush with cash. No. That's not the way that it is. That's actually not a great way to do ministry, but we're, we're not in the red. We're in the black a little bit, but this is amazing stuff. Can we give God a hand for that? Yeah. Before we go any further, you guys are on mission with your finances. That is something to incredibly celebrate so thank you so much for giving to God in these things. Look, those things do not happen without the building that we have, without the staff that we have that organizes things. Those things can't happen without those things that we don't love to pay for. And so you guys came through. Our community also gave towards that. These are amazing things. We got to feed more people than we've ever fed and so forth. And so... I want to talk to you now. You can put away that slide for just a second here, and I've, I've, I've got a cruise here. But starting with THX, we are, we are beginning to ask the question, what would it look like to blow this thing out of the water? 220 families was a lot of, was a lot of people, but something happened recently, which I've talked about, and that is that Sodexo, 
which is a massive corporation, is now uh, cooking our food for THX. And so we went to them the other day, and we said, uh, what would happen if we decided that we, w we wanted to serve 1,000 families? And she was like, oh, uh, okay, um, because you're talking about at an average of five per household, you're talking about 5,000. And I really wanted to do that because then if another article got written, it would say Outward Church feeds the 5,000, right? And that would be, and that would be amazing. So it <laughs> would be a great storyline. Um, we, we're still hoping for that. But she came back to us and she said, tell you what, uh, this is a big ask. I'll go 800 with you. Um, now, let me tell you how much money that costs. Uh, that cost $56,000, okay? That's a lot. Mind you, a lot of those funds for THX were raised outside of the church, but a lot of that did come from here. But what we want to do is at the end of the day say, God had a hand in this. And so what we want to see happen, it, what, what we're going to be doing is there, there are 42 schools in our city. Um, we would be serving over 4,000 people uh, by taking on 800 families. Like I said, $56,000. We would need 1,000 people on the day of Thanksgiving. We would need 200 guides. We'd need 200 delivery groups. That's about 800 people. We'd need 250 to prepare the, uh, the event in the week before. We'd need 120 cooking volunteers, 30 volunteers for trees, 50 volunteers for Wednesday preparations, 40 volunteers needed for, to call people, 10 volunteers needed for data entry and management. It would be insane, but that's why I like it, right? Like, this is nuts, and I'm just telling you, I have no idea how we'd do it. I just don't, and so we'd have to go back on, you know, we had this, I preached a sermon a long time ago. It's probably the only sermon that anybody remembers that I've given uh, from that era, and for good reason, mind you, uh, but uh, the, the phrase was, if God doesn't move, we fail, and we want to have a big, a big enough vision, a vision that's big enough to say, either God's going to do this or it's not going to happen, and so we can just rest on God. So whether we do uh, 300 families or whether we do 1,000 families, we can say, this is what God wants, but this is what we're shooting for. And we're praying. The elders got together and prayed and asked God, God, we're, we're asking you to direct us in this. And so what I'm saying today is I, I'm leaving a little caveat in there, which is we're going for this, and what's going to be needed is God to move in a number of different ways. So why would we do this with THX? THX is not an end in and of itself. What THX does is it is the foot in the door to the local schools to work with community members uh, both in giving and then also coming and serving. It is hands down one of the best ways that we have gotten to know people who are non-believers. We put ads on Craigslist and people who don't know Jesus come and they hang out with us. I don't know where else you get to do that. Like it's, I guess, at work and everywhere else in life, but it, it, with a church. Uh, but when they're coming to you for a church event, that's, that's what I meant by that. And so that's, uh, it, it is hands down one of the best things we've got. Now, I told this contractor guy, I won't tell you who he was yet, but I uh, ran into him at Ritter's the other day. Me and my wife were hanging out. And um, I used to work for him like years ago. He's a big, big uh, contractor in town. And somehow we got onto the church, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to try out this vision. So I gave him an eleva elevator speech, if you know what that is, like two-second version of, of our vision for this. And he was like, huh, I'd like to know more about that. Why don't you get in touch with me? And I said, you might be sorry you said that. And he said, well, no, I think it sounds good. And I said, that's great. And you know what this means, though, is that we got to start now and in getting into the schools and getting donations and things like that. Because of this, we want our city to see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation because we have been about the welfare of our city and serving them. That's what, that's what we want to be about. I've got a few more things to share with you here um, as we move along here. Um, this last year, we have seen numerical growth. We're, we're excited about that. That's great. We're glad you're here. If you're new, thank you for coming. That's fantastic, but um, numbers aren't everything, and we just don't want to make them everything, so we just want to keep that in check. But in 2017, we 
uh, went over 300 people on average, which is hard to do um, in, in essence because churches kind of languish in the 200 person person um, area. So we got over 300 people on average coming to our church. By the end of, of this last year, our average was 321, and we're still climbing. So that is an amazing thing that's happening. What that also means is that we have 100 children in that area of the building, okay? Someday we're going to need to go to two services, but I just love it in here, all packed in, you know? It's, it's, it's amazing. So we're going to try to keep from doing that as long as possible. Last year we baptized 15 people. That's the most people we've ever baptized in one year. Yeah. That's, that's killer. Um, uh, we, we ser- as I said before, we served more than we've ever served before at THX. Um, in addition to this, a foster care ministry was started and we are in the process. In fact, I met someone last week that is, being, that is being served by a church and has been served by our church. By the way, that's the orphan that we're taking care of right there. Um, in addition to this, we assisted in the purchase of a home. Not for me, uh, mind you. Um, not in a gated community or anything like that. Um, uh, this was uh, for somebody in our church. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but um, the, the church was able to assist with this. The church created a fund called uh, something very, very sexy called the Outward Housing Initiative um, simply because we couldn't come up with anything else on the fly, and so that's, that's what it is. And so here's what it is. It is a benevolence account. Um, what took place was... Um, we realize that on a regular basis, we, ha- we help people with benevolence in our church. We don't have a ton of benevolence funds. But what is frustrating is when you're constantly giving little amounts to people and they can never get out of the hole. O- home ownership is the number one way that Americans save money. It's the number one way that people advance in life, um, financially speaking. Um, when I talk about innovation... I think this is innovative. If Outward Church was about assisting people getting into their own home and taking care of them, be it single moms or whatever, and I realize that there are other organizations that do this, but this is a way that we can help with benevolence funds in big ways. We can certainly do small things on a continual basis, but this is one big way that we can do this. And so that is um, what that is called. In addition to that, the goal is this. If you're served by Outward Church through a down payment assistance uh, type thing, our, um, we can't dictate this. We probably shouldn't even say it on a recording that's public. But um, our hope is this, is that we, we can say we, we hope that what you would do is you would turn around and you would pay back the church for that loan as you get on your feet. And so it's not a loan, it's a gift, but you would give back to the church toward that fund, and so it's a revolving fund. So that's, that's kind of a, an, an innovative way that we have um, seen God do some amazing things. So let me show you just a couple of things uh, real quick here. Let's go to the 2018 projected budget um, right there. There we go. So right now, this is the budget that we came up with. As you know, we ended up in a, at about $430,000 all told. This is a budget that does not include THX and some other things. So this is just like base, unrestricted giving, if you know what that is. It's just people gave money to the church. There was no strings attached, that type of thing. What you'll see right here is that if we kept that budget, our staffing would be at 55%. That's okay when we're growing, which we are, but we want to be at 50%. We don't, and, and experts tell us that you don't want to be any more or less than that. And so if you're in a growth period, you can go up as much as 60%, but you don't normally want to go below that. And at the end of the year, it all comes out in the wash. And so, But long story short, that's our projected budget based on a 10% increase of unrestricted funds from last year. If you don't understand that, don't worry about it. But that, was, that, that number was thought about and talked about and things of that nature. You'll see that we have savings at 1%, church planting at 10%, ministry programs at 13 and facility at 20%. In order for us to make steps ahead, we can't have that budget because of this. We have a very small saving, savings account, and the reason is, is this. We've grown. We've needed to add staff. 
we had to do that. We have not overextended ourselves, but we must advance in order to have savings. By the end of the year, I, as the pastor, am asking, I've, I've told our elders this, our elders have agreed, and that is that we want to have about $50,000 in savings as a, a safety net. It's, it's also for emergencies and opportunities. And so that's, that's our goal. In order to see that happen, this is what the budget would need to look like. Could you go to that next slide? So this is the 2018 what-if budget. Now let me just tell you what this means. This means that our, by, all told, at the end of next year, we would be over 500000 which would be like mind-blowing. But this is what would need to happen. In order for us to be able to put away about $4,000 per month, we would need to have a budget of about uh, 49000 And so that would bring staffing to 49%. So there's two ways to do this. Either you let go of staff or you increase the budget. I'm praying that God increases our budget. That would give us 10% in savings, 10% in church planting, 12% on ministry and programs, 18% on facility. Now that's, that's, that is a goal. That's the what if budget. What if God were, were to provide for us? And as I said before, so many of you have stepped up and have been incredibly generous. Could we go to the next slide, please? This is uh, the 2018 What If Outreach. And so what this means is that we want to provide more weekend meals for 48-plus uh, kids at Richmond Elementary and perhaps others. In my conversation with Sodexo, Sodexo said to us, well, there are grants for the Backpack Buddies program. And we were like, people are giving money away for this? Like, what, what, tell us more about this. And um, long story short, we've been spending about $300 per week on this Backpack Buddies program. That's about all that we can handle. Um, Sodexo is checking in on getting some grants. And I said, so why would we be doing this if you can just get the money and feed these kids? And she said, because you guys would have to serve the kids. You have to put the bags together and everything. So get this. A massive corporation could possibly give us thousands of dollars so that we can feed people. Like, I'd say yes to that, right? I mean, that's, a, that's like, yeah, yeah. So let's, let's pray that that takes place. We don't know all the details on that yet, but that's the Backpack Buddies program. Six summer soccer uh, camps, big goal. Blake came to me and said, I don't just want to do one soccer camp. I want to do the six schools that we served this last year. That's huge. That's going to take people. That's going to take a lot of stuff. And then 800 families. All of that would total about $80,000 in addition to our budget of $490,000. Let me tell you what all this is going to take. It is going to take our, our prayers, our pennies, and our presence. Okay? Three Ps there for you. Okay? Um, so first of all, movement 